You are part of a church that is on a mission, something bigger than ourselves. We talked about this yesterday at the outreach meeting and then Pastor Schaller's message this morning. They just complimented each other. And, you know, just before I walked out, Avery turned around and he, he was at the outreach meeting yesterday and he said him and, Perry, him and Pastor Gary went out yesterday and uh, talked to three young men and three young men received Christ. And that's amazing, right? Like we, we kind of, can we get familiar with that? I think we can. Like as you think about these three young men, you know, they, they get up on a Saturday morning and their eternal destiny is not heaven, but it's hell. Like really, think of the reality of that. And, and the miracle that it takes for them to be translated in, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. It's a miracle that their eternal destiny can be altered just like that. By somebody going out with a message like we heard this morning. It's a miracle. It's incredible. Like that this stuff, that there are people. And this is the thing. Uh, you know what? Can we pray? Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so far ahead of myself, it's not even funny. Um, uh, Lord, just bless this time, this, this, these thoughts, Lord, this introductory thoughts, the message to come, Pastor Love, Pastor Shell, the offering, the singing, Lord, just that your will, your words would be spoken in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do I want to say? There are hurting people everywhere. And Pastor Shell, I mentioned that this morning, and it really resonated with me. And you might say, well, I don't know. I don't see a lot of, you know, this is what happened to us yesterday. So, so Avery and Pastor Gary go out. They lead three young men to Christ. This is, I mean, when you go on outreach, you never know what's going to happen. Like, whatever happened last Saturday has no bearing on what's going to happen the next Saturday. I think we all know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> You know, one week, everybody's uh, falling down at your feet and getting saved. And the next week, right, Alan, people are cursing you out, right? Yeah. That's outreach, right? It could be the same people, actually. <laughs> I'm serious. It could be the same people, depending on what they injected that morning, you know, um, or what spirit they are of that morning, you know, and and so we, you know, I'll just say this a little testimony before I get, we get out of the car, we set up a little table on Monument Street, and we, we pray as a team, I think there was five of us there at that time, four or five of us, we pray as a team, and all of a sudden, five people walk up to us, a lady, her sister, two kids, and this older gentleman, and they walk up and they say, are you the church group? And we're like, I don't know, are we? Yeah, I think... Are you the church group? Yeah, yeah, we're a church group. Can you pray for us? Like, we just got out of the car. Can you pray for us? And they're like, we're homeless. We have no money. My kids have no food. Um, probably substance abuse in there somewhere. Can you pray with us? That was, I'm like, I'm like looking around like, this is crazy. You know, and we, we all get in a circle. We pray with them. And then a few minutes later, later, Leah Ellis is uh, talking to one of the ladies and leads her to Christ. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. In one sense, it's amazing how hurting people are, and it's amazing how the grace of God can touch them in a moment. Isn't it? 
This, this message, this message that we have is life transforming. And it's not a message. Like I was thinking of that tonight as I was reading a few things. It's not a message. It's the message. There's only one message that can save a soul, and that's the message of the gospel. You know, there's a, there's a million messages out there that do nothing but confuse people, but there's the gospel, the simplicity of the gospel, that there's a God in heaven who loves you. Sometimes these people walk by us, right? And, and you know, hey, sir, uh, and they just keep walking, and, that, and that's okay. And sometimes the only thing we could say to them is, hey, I just want you to know that God loves you. And you might say, well, that's not much, Pastor Bob, to say to someone. But you know what? Picture yourself unsaved, maybe going through something at work, something at home, something in your family, you know, something, depression, whatever. You're just out going to the market and somebody walks up to you and says, I just want you to know one thing, that there's a God in heaven that loves you. He really does. And here, take this. If you don't want to stop and talk about it, take this and read it and it will confirm what I'm saying to you. That's a message. And the hurting people don't hear this. We hear this all the time. We hear about how much God loves us. We hear about how much God cares about us. We hear about, uh, you know, eternity and what it's going to be like. We hear about it all the time. And it, you know, just reinforces everything that we know. But people out there, what's the message they're hearing? Doom, gloom, no hope, depression, their families troubled. No, they have no help. They have no place to turn because they don't have a message. And why don't they have a message? Because nobody's told them. And we are a church that is on a mission, and we have a message. I was thinking today, 50, 60 years ago, you know, our founding pastor is, has a vision at a pond. What do you have, 10 people in his church, maybe? Maybe there was 10 people, maybe less. I mean, most of you know the story. And, but just to, you know, to be refreshed in it, but God gives him a vision to go into all the world. Wait a second, you have, you have 10 people. Most, I think he had a family of six or seven, you know, so that means there was three strangers there in the church. <laughs> go into all the world. Wait a second, I'm up in Maine in a little church. Go into all the world just like the Great Commission, preach the gospel, send missionaries, plant schools, plant Bible schools, uh, plant churches around the United States and around the world. And you know what? Look at this. This, you are all, we are all the fulfillment of that vision that is continuing to this day. And this is what has happened. How did this happen? Well, it's because we had a mission. We had a vision. We had a mission. And, you know, that was the most important thing, and that is the most important thing to this church, and it should be to us as individuals. You know, when we have a mission, a mission, (laughs) what kind of word is that? Mission. We have a mission. I think that's part vision, part mission, is a mission. That'll be in Webster's next year when new words. Gosh. You know, it says, without a vision, the people perish. And really, you could say, without a mission, the people perish. But what does that mean? The word perish in that case means they cast off restraint. So without a mission or a vision that comes from God, we, we cast off restraint. 
Why do we do what we do? Like, why? I said to the, to the uh, people, there's probably 50, 60 people. Yeah. Listen, listen to this. There's probably 50, 60 people yesterday morning, uh, Fellowship Hall, to go on outreach. Do you think that's normal? Do you think that every church in America, every Saturday morning, they have 50 or 60 people out ready to go soul winning? That's not normal. I, I bet you it happens very rarely. But it happens every Saturday. Last week it was 20 to 1 degrees, and we, I walked into the fellowship hall thinking there'd be five people there. There's 60 people there. It's 21 degrees out. What are, what are we doing? We're all going out soul winning. 21 degrees. Same crowd. Actually, I think it was a bigger crowd last week. It was 55 degrees this, this past Saturday. That's not normal. If you think that's normal in Christianity, it's not. This is a church with a mission. We have a vision, we have a mission, and we restrain ourselves. What does that mean? I said yesterday morning, there's probably five other things that everybody in this room could do right now. You know, whether it's sleeping in, you know, eating breakfast, relaxing around, you know, it's a, I don't work today, you know, whatever. Doing errands, doing chores, but you know what? Where are they? They're at the Fellowship Hall getting ready to go out and preach the gospel. Bring a message to hurting people. That was amazing. The way Pastor shared it this morning, there are hurting people everywhere. You know, it's interesting. I thought of two people. John chapter 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, as Pastor talked about this morning, who had five husbands living with another man. I mean, what must her life have been like? A broken life. Needing something, going there, doing her daily chore, just going to get water to bring it back to her house or wherever. And she's interrupted, like Pastor Ramirez talked about God interrupting our lives, but God interrupted her life and said, hey, if you drink of the water that I have, you will never thirst again. Wow. That lady, what did you find out? Read the rest of the chapter. At the end of the chapter, she brings the whole town out to hear Jesus. This broken life is redeemed in a moment in time, one encounter with Christ. Now, all of a sudden, she's a soul winner. She brings the whole town out, and the town is coming out saying, we have believed in you, Jesus, because of her. And then they listen to Jesus and say, now we believe because we have heard you directly. That's amazing, a broken life. And you say, well, you know, obviously she had a broken life. Look at, you know, she had five, five husbands and all this stuff. But there's another story, and I think it's in 2 Kings 5, about a Syrian captain. And this guy, it says that he, he was a Syrian captain. He had favor with the king because of all his victories. He was a good man. He was, he was the kind of guy who walked down the street and everybody stepped out of the way. He had everything. He had power. He had money. He had access to the king. He could have as much land, as many houses as he wanted. He had everything. And you say, well, that guy doesn't have a broken life. You know what else it says in that, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It talks about everything that he has, and then the last couple of words of the verse says, but he was a leper. Like, wait a second, this guy's life is perfect. He has no need of God. He doesn't have a broken life. He doesn't need a message. You know what? Inside his shirt, when he took his shirt off at night, what did he see? He was a leper. Incurable disease. I got everything. I got everything I could want, but I can't get rid of this incurable disease. 
And what would be the message of the world? Here, you know, don't worry about it. Here, have some more money. Buy another house. Go on vacation. Don't worry about it. Take some drugs. You won't even think about it. But you know what? He takes his shirt off every night. And he says, I'm a leper. Incurable disease. That's the, that's the rich guy. So it's not just the broken lady with five husbands. This guy is at the top of his game. But yet, you know what? He's a broken life that needs the message that we have. And you know what? That story, and I've taught this in Methods of Evangelism, because I love this story. There's a little maid there. She's a captive. She's an Israeli. She's captive in... She's captive in... She's a slave. And she's working in the house. And she says to the captain's wife, she says, you know what? If he could go and see the prophet of Israel, he will be healed. She gave him a message. Well, wait, it wasn't a theological message. It wasn't like, you must be saved, you must be born again, you must do this. No, it was just, she said this. She could have been killed for saying this. She's a slave. And she didn't say, if you go to see the prophet of Israel, maybe you might get saved. I mean, maybe you might get healed. She said, if you go, he will heal your master. It's amazing. That's a message. He goes and sees, uh, I think it was Elisha, Elijah, not Elijah, Elisha, and he gets, he gets healed. And then you know what he says? I know now that the God of Israel is the true God. He was a, you know, he didn't look like a broken life, but he was a broken life. He heard a message, he responded to it, and his life was changed forever. And that's what we do. That's what we do as a church. That's what we do as individuals. We, because we have been commissioned with this message, right? I mean, we, we know more in our little pinky spiritually than anybody knows out there. It's the truth. It's the truth. You know, you go out on the streets, you're not going to debate a Harvard Divinity student who's going to challenge every word you say. You know, they may be out there somewhere, but I haven't run into one. You know, a simple message. Do you know that there's a God in heaven that loves you? I had this statement. I found this in my notes. I don't think I wrote it because I really like it. I mean, I don't think it was me. I must have wrote it. I didn't. (laughs) And it talks about God's love because that's why... Why do we do what we do? Because God so loved the world, right? It's God's love for people who are hurting, and people who maybe don't appear to be hurt, but God's love for them is why he did what he did. And he commissions us with that same message. And I know I wrote this down, and it's like God says, I love you so much that I will personally pay for every sin you have ever committed. And all I ask is that you receive it as a free gift. No strings, no conditions, no payback, no payment, no performance demanded. That's the simplicity of the gospel, isn't it? That God has personally paid for every sin that every person has ever committed. And that's the simplicity of the gospel. That is the message. And you know what? Jesus said, I must go to Samaria because there's a woman, as pastor said this morning, that, has a, that needs a message. You know, there's a blind man who needs a message in John chapter 9. There's, there's a, you know, a lame man laying there, and he needs a message, take up your bed and walk. They're everywhere. 
Peter, was it Peter and John when they went to the temple and the guy wanted alms and they said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to thee, rise up and walk. He needed a message. They all need a message. Everybody does. We, we needed a message. And God spoke to us through someone or somehow or dream or whatever it was. God spoke to us with a message. And look at us. God has transformed us, changed us. And what does he ask us? Can you take the same message that I spoke to you and can you speak that to someone else? And it's easy. You might say, I can't do it. It's easy because God is in it. Like God doesn't say go out there and do this on your own. God says, go out there and I will be with you always. I will be with you. That's just like he said to Gideon, that mighty man of valor. Gideon said, no, I'm not. And he says, I will be with you. Moses, I will be with you. Joshua, I will be with you. That's the key. It's not me. It's not anybody. It's God with us, giving us a message to speak to people with broken lives. And that's what's needed in the world. You know, we don't need more money. We don't need more programs. We need more people, more churches to go out there with this simple message that there's a God in heaven who has personally paid for every sin you ever committed And here, it's a free gift. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you so much for these thoughts, Lord, and the simplicity of the gospel, and that you you reached each one of us with the message. We just pray, Lord. We pray for our city. We pray for our state. We pray for our country, Lord, that this message will be proclaimed on every corner, Every corner, every park, everywhere, Lord, not just here, but throughout the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That was good, wasn't it? The mission, we're on a mission. Uh, How many people uh, have difficulty approaching strangers? Raise your hand. Be honest. I'm raising my hand. I, I mean, this is me. I, I have difficulty approaching strangers. But how amazing it is we can approach strangers and share with them the gospel, right? So turn to your neighbor and say, Would, could I share with you a message? <laughs> um, just a couple announcements. It's time to register for the marriage getaway. And that's February 9th through 10th. And the uh, registration for that is open. So please register for that. February 9th and 10th on Kent Island. Uh, And the GGCA play is this Friday and Saturday, February 2nd and 3rd. The Friday show is in the evening at 7 p.m. and the Saturday matinee is at 2 p.m. So please come out to that if you can. And um, this is the time of our service. We'd like to say hi to any first-time visitors here. Uh, If you were watching the game and you felt that uh, you were really down and you needed God. How many of us have come to Christ because of sports? <laughs> um, do we have any first-time visitors? Anyone that we could say hi to and just welcome here? Nobody? Okay. Um, if I could have JB come up, and, uh, and JB has something special for us. God is good. That's something special. No. 
Yeah, I want to pray for a second. I think that's all, never a bad idea. I don't think I ever encountered a situation where prayer was a bad idea. So I think we could all pray. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you. Thank you for being with us always. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, help us to worship you, Jesus. Thank you. Help us to quiet our hearts, our thoughts before you. Amen. Just want to share one quick word from um, 2 Corinthians. Um, You can turn there if you want to. You don't have to. Just a very quick word. And uh, 2 Corinthians 3 In verse 2, Paul says that you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. That's already so great. It's a letter of recommendation that everyone could read. And we all have that. And he keeps going. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And I love verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. I love what Pastor Shalos shared this morning. Like maybe some of us could have a hard time talking with people on the streets. Or, you know, maybe we don't feel adequate. Or we don't think we have it in us. Who says such is the confidence, our confidence toward God in Christ. In verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. And that's it. I mean, I think that's what outreach is, and that's who we are, and that's where God brings us in our lives. Um, very often we, we hear a message that we have to have a plumb line in our lives. And what is this plumb line? I, we thought about it we, with, in tech ops. We meditated on it a little bit. And, and we just came up with this, that the plumb line in our life or in my life, it could be where my inadequacy meets the grace of God. That that's my plumb line. Because at that point, I'm never more than an unprofitable servant, but I'm never less than the son of the most high God. And that's the plumb line in my life. Where my inadequacy and my depravity meets the grace of God. And this is it. We have, this is our confidence. We have through Christ toward God. So maybe you don't feel adequate. Maybe I don't to say, to go on the street or tell people about Jesus. Maybe we ha- we're having a bad day. Can that happen? Very, very likely. Yes, it can happen. Somehow, weird stuff always come up when you try to go on outreach. It's like almost the devil hates it, you know? 
But it says, our sufficiency is not from us. It's from God. And we go out there and he has made all of us sufficient ministers of the new covenant. And it's from God. And I have the honor to be on the great Richmond team and to serve under great leaders, Jesse Fires and Kaylee and, and just the whole team. And God is good. God has made us sufficient. So I think that, let's pray. And this is also a prayer for the offering. But I want, I want to ask for not, not just your money. I want to ask for your prayers. I want, I want you, please pray for these outreaches. Pray for these leaders. Do you know how much, or can, we can just imagine on how much spiritual attack they are. Just think of these leaders in the back. We have all these outreach leaders. Please give your prayers. I ask for your prayers for these people and prayers for missions and prayers and that we would learn this, that our sufficiency is from God. And as Paul said to Timothy, and I think I just want to close with this. My son, Timothy, be strong in grace. And we need that. And we have, we have strong in grace and we can go. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. God, we pray for our outreaches. We pray for missions. We pray for our great leaders. God, we are nothing, but you are everything. And you, has ma- you said you have made us sufficient. You said that we are able to go out. God, just pray for Jesse Fires. I pray for Pastor Dennis. I pray for Pastor Ronaldo, Pastor Amir, Bertram. God, Pastor Schaller, Pastor Shabali, Josh Harris. Yes, God. Pastor Bruce. Pastor Steve. All the new church plants we have, God, please just help us to go. Help us to keep going. Help us to keep pressing on. Help us to keep going. God, give us souls, please, on the streets. We know it's not from us, God, from you. Please help us to go. Help us to give. Help us to press on. Keep going and never give up. Help us to learn grace. Help us to be strong in grace. God, in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Choir did a good job, didn't they? Speaking of choirs, I don't know if you saw the beginning of the game, the... Morgan State Choir sang the National Anthem. Wow. That might have been one of the more memorable highlights of today's game. (laughs) So if you get a chance, go back and look at it. Sing the anthem and build yourself up. Pastor Shallow wants me to announce that there will be no rap tonight, but counseling will be available for everyone (laughs) following the game. Pastor Steve will head that up. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Just having a little fun. It's hard. It's hard when your team loses, right? It is. You say, oh, how do you know? Because I work with the Knicks for 32 seasons. And we haven't won a thing. Okay, the last time the Knicks won a championship was 50 years ago. I was in high school. And I hated them. And that's starting to come back again. 
<laughs> okay, Father, we, we know, Lord, that you have a plan to heal our broken hearts. And we pray that you would do that. Just through our fellowship, through our joy, through uh, just being together in your precious name. Just bless these thoughts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I just want to mention the verse that we, we just briefly mentioned, and mentioned it this morning when we took the offering. It's Hebrews 9.27. And it just says this, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And I, and I thought about that, and I was thinking, are there two, you couldn't find two more fearful things to think about. Right? Death and judgment. And when you stop and think about it, and not for you and I, because Jesus, who called himself the resurrection and the life, said to us, gave us a promise, if we, if we would believe on him, we would never see death. Death, no, it doesn't have any power over us. It doesn't, as perhaps it once did, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, we read there that the devil used the fear of death to keep people in bondage throughout their lifetime. And imagine you're in this world without Christ, without hope, and all you have to look forward to are those two things, death and judgment. I mean, what a frightening prospect. You know, God promises you and I as believers in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. You know, he says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To bless you. To give you the prospect of a blessed future. And that's what, we, that's what God has given us. That's what we have. That's a promise from God. People without Christ. Um, you know, someone once said that, you know, life with Christ is an endless hope. Life without Christ is a hopeless end. They have no hope. I mean, the best that they can hope for is a portion in this life. Just that they would get the good things that this temporal existence would offer them. And I would think, you know, sooner or later, and I think Pastor Pete shared it with us the other night, I think it was Wednesday night, you know, sooner or later, everything under the sun, (laughs) you realize, is soon going to be gone. It's empty. It's vanity. It has no eternal value whatsoever. But God has given us this amazing spiritual insight that we don't have to be caught and live under the sun because we have this amazing capacity to see life and to interpret life from everything above the sun because we are in the sun because of what Christ has done for us. And I was just thinking about, you know, those two possible, you know, those two only outlets for people, death and judgment. And then I thought about judgment. Death, obviously, no longer, I mean, we, we, may, we, we will, unless we're raptured, pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But the last time I checked, shadows don't hurt you. Amen? But we may pass through that. We may have to leave this temporal world and step into eternity But, you know, that's going to be an easy transition for us because death has been overcome. And then judgment, praise God, because of the cross. Pastor Bob said it. 
when he shared that introduction tonight. We will never be judged for one single sin. Not one single sin. And, and let's be honest. If we were honest, we'd say, I've got stacks of sins. Right? I've got, you know, just like, I remember going, you ever going to the old libraries back then? Before everything was digitized and you had computers. You know, they used to have the, the cards in a library and you'd pull it out. And if you went there, if you were a high school student, you're trying to get an assignment done, you're just like, oh my God, where do I begin? Hundreds and hundreds of books. And you could be, it could be a little bit overwhelming. Well, that, you know, those, those library cards and all of those little drawers that you put, that's like, you know, that could be the catalog of our sins. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in our thought life, outwardly, our attitudes, our actions, our negativity, our criticism, our hatred, our subtle jealousy, our envy. I mean, you could go on and on forever. And every single one of them has been canceled because of the cross. It makes us want to say that we read in, I think it's the prophet Micah said, Who who is a God like you, O Lord, that pardons iniquity? And cancels all of our transgressions. I don't think it's any wonder why the Apostle Paul said these words. He said, but we preach Christ and him crucified. That's our message. And it's so strange because think about it. We preach the cross. And, and you know, let's be honest about it. Without an understanding spiritually of what the cross means to those that are lost in the world, when you preach the cross, they think, you know, why, why would you want to even talk about a symbol of execution? Because it's not a symbol of execution. Yes, it was how Christ laid down his life. He willingly went to that cross. But really, the cross for you and I is the greatest demonstration of God's love. It is. There is no greater demonstration of the love of God than Calvary. And it's no wonder why the Apostle Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. Imagine if, that's, if that was our gospel, ourselves. But we preach Christ and him crucified. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he also said, remember, those that are in this world without Christ, they are, they are blinded by the God of this world. They have no ability to see the reality of a message that God has opened our hearts and our eyes to understand and to see and to embrace and to receive by faith. They don't have it. It's kind of like if God would give us his compassion, we would see everyone in this world the way God sees them. In the world, without hope, blind. It would be like driving down the street and you saw a blind man and he's attempting to cross the street in a busy traffic area. Now, now, what would you do? You would just say, oh, boy, you know, I feel bad for that guy. He's going to be in big trouble. He's gonna, somebody's going to take him out. No, I think you would probably pull your car over. And you would get out of your car. And you would guide him across the street. Because you wouldn't want to see him hurt or hit by an automobile. Or any oncoming traffic. And think about it. That's the same kind of compassion that God has put in our hearts for blinded, lost people. The question is, can we see them? Do we see them? I, I, I often think of, of the story that we read in Luke chapter 7. I'll, I'll read it to you, beginning in verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired Jesus that he would eat with him. So he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to meet. 
Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, kissed his feet, anointed them with the ointment. When the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him. Then he makes this brilliant deduction. She is a sinner. (laughs) Jesus answering said unto him, and there's a valuable lesson here. Don't think anything that you don't want Jesus to know. He said, Simon, I have somewhat to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence, the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he who he forgave the most. And he said, you have rightly judged. And then he turned to the woman And he said these words. He asked this question to Simon. Do you see this woman? Now, Simon's already said in his heart, yes, I see her. I know her. In fact, I've already labeled her. I think the question that Simon could have said, I I see her. But Jesus, do you see her? Do you see this woman? And you can't help but think that nobody sees us like Jesus sees us. Because he, he sees through our mess. He sees through our problems. He sees beyond our discouragement. He goes right through our depression. And he loves us. And that's a challenge for all of us today because the easiest thing for us to do is to label people. The challenge that God puts before us is to love them. But when we do that, what a difference it makes. He went on to say that, he said to Simon, Simon, you know, when I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, which, by the way, was customary. She has washed my feet with her tears, wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss again, especially if someone of Jesus' stature would enter into your home. A rabbi, you would greet him with that kiss. He said, since I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, you didn't anoint. Again, something that was customary. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And because she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Point being, nobody sees us like Jesus sees us. And then he imparts that vision, that vision that Pastor Bob talked about, that same vision to see people the way he sees us and the the way we see other people, he gives that to us. Now we go through this life with a a new compassion, with a new empathy, with a new understanding, 
with a willingness to go out of our way and to try to make a difference in people's lives with the gospel, with the cross, with the good news. Because, again, what was it that brought us to a place where we changed our mind? You know what it was? It was the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, it's the goodness of God that leads people to a place where they want to change their mind, change their mind about God, change their mind about the way they want to live their lives, change their mind to, to, to forsake a, a temporal value system and to embrace an eternal value system. And I, I remember reading a long time ago, and I, I'm not sure that I can get the, the entire story um, as accurate as possible, but I'll, but I'll do the best I can. It happened in Texas. And there was a Christian school. And they had a, a great football team, a very successful football program. And they had a head coach who was a very godly man. And he had heard about this, 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 uh, this kind of like a, a, a detention center for young men, young men who struggled with crime. I mean, they got, they got into trouble early on in life as teenagers, and they would be housed there, and they were there. It's like a correctional facility for young people. And he found out that they had a football program. So he did something very unusual. He decided that he was going to invite that football team to play his football team. Now, his football team, they were excellent. And they were outfitted with all the latest and newest equipment. And, and you know, they had a, an impeccable record, and he was an amazing coach. And he gathered together... Uh, all of the parents of the team and all of the fans that were going to be there. And he said, we're going to do something different for this game. And I've invited this team. And when he told uh, the parents of the, the players and the players themselves and all their fans and family members, he said, we're going to do this. We're going to invite this team here. and We're going to do something very different. I want you. And he had a list of the names of all the young men who played on that football team from the detention center. He said, I want you to write their names on big, you know, placards, big posters. And then when they arrive, I want you to leave our side of the field. And instead of cheering for your own boys and for your own family, I want you to go on their side. And during the game, whenever they make a great play, I want you to stand up and cheer for them. Shout their names. Get excited about what they're doing. And I'm not even sure about the outcome of the game. But when it was over, these young men were so stunned that all of the players gathered together in the middle of the field. They held hands together, and the coach was going to lead them into prayer. But he asked one of the young men from the detention center to say a prayer. And the young man just simply said something like this. He said, God, I don't know what's happened here today, but we've never been so loved in all of our lives. And that was his prayer. Game finished. They all embraced. The fans got around them, encouraged them, loved them, cared about them. They got on the bus. They gave them hamburgers, hot dogs, something to drink. And they said that they just, as the bus pulled away, they just saw these young men looking through the windows with tears streaming down their eyes. You know what that coach did? You know what that school did? That whole community did? Instead of labeling those young men, they loved them. And it made such a difference in their lives. In Jude, verse 22 says, our compassion can make a difference. It always does. When Jesus looked at multitudes, he always saw them as sheep 
without a shepherd. So easy to label. Sometimes, sometimes we even know people's pain before we know their name. What I mean by that is we say, do you know that? Well, no, you, you're talking about the one that got in trouble. You're talking about the divorcee. You're talking about the, the person struggles with alcohol. You're talking about that negative person. So easy to label. But God has given us this amazing compassion, this amazing love for lost souls, and says, you know, let the world put labels on them. I want you to love them. I want you to go the extra mile. I want you to make a difference. I want you to see them like I see them. Because when we start to see people through the eyes of Christ's love, we start to see people through the eyes of his grace. We start to see what mercy can do and how much of a difference it can make. And I think we know, I think we know what a difference it makes. I know it did for me as a teenager hanging around with what everybody labeled as losers. And then, you know, Bill Cannon came down. And he started to look at us. And he wasn't interested in labeling us. He loved us. And I think he saw me, and I know he saw all of us this way, but he saw me, I don't think like anybody else saw me. And his love, his kindness, his patience with me, it made all the difference in my life. And I think that we can do the same thing for others. Just like that high school football coach did. Just like Jesus did for that woman. Just like, well, just like the same vision and mission that Pastor Bob said God can give each one of us. And that's really why we're here, to make that kind of a difference. And I don't think that compassion ever fails. I don't think that we can go wrong for, go, ever go wrong for loving people and embracing them right where they're at. Not telling them that things have to change, but just loving them, right? As Pastor used to say all the time, God's love doesn't demand a change, but when it's freely given, it produces one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for seeing us the way perhaps no one else saw us. And then thank you, Lord, for placing us in a world where we can begin to see people differently than those who are so willing and so quick to label them. We pray that that same love that you had in your heart when you looked at that woman in Simon's house, you would put that in our hearts that same compassion. And, and sometimes for, to have that, Lord, it means, you know, we're going to have to, it's going to cost us something. We may have to go out on a limb. We might have to risk our, losing our reputation. Might have to go places and be around people that naturally we, we might not want or might not like to. But you did it, Lord. And what a difference it made in the world. We pray that you would impart that to each one of us. Give us that same love, that same grace, that same mercy as we look upon those that are in this world, blind, without hope, lost, really dead in their trespasses and sins. And before we close, if there's anyone here tonight and you've never made a decision to trust Christ, to ask him to come into your heart, know this. 
He sees you like no one sees you. He knows you like no one knows you. And with everything he knows about you, with everything that you've been through, everything that you might have brought with you here tonight, he loves you and he stands ready to forgive you and to cleanse you and to bring you into his family forever. You could invite him into your heart tonight by a simple prayer of faith. Jesus, come into my heart and cleanse me of my sins and save my soul. If you said that prayer, you're in the audience tonight. It's the first time you've done it. Just put your hand up. The ushers want to give you a packet tonight. Anyone, just put your hand up, put it right back down. Okay, Father, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.